Hello everyone and welcome to Inside the Mind of Sport. In today's episode, we'll look at the impact on the rest of the team when a team is missing some key players because of COVID. Discuss what the psychological impact is of technological advances in different sports. And talk a little bit about concussions and why it is so hard for mental problems and mental health issues to be recognized as injuries. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to rate it on iTunes, leave a like, comment wherever you're listening. Now, let's dive inside the mind of sport. Now, I am not alone in this episode. I am joined by Laura Parrott, who is the owner of Wheelhouse MPC, Mental Performance Consulting, and a PhD student at the University of Ottawa looking at sport psychology and more specifically coaching. Lara, how are you doing? I'm great, Yala. Thanks. How are you? I, I'm doing great. I think we're both very excited about the topics today. Um, so we're, so we're going to dive straight into it. So the first story that I want to talk about today revolves around COVID. There's no denying it that it has an immense impact on the world of sport. And in the last few weeks, there have been several teams that have been playing without their key players, and in some cases, even without a designated specialist. Um, for instance, the Denver Broncos played their last game without like a real quarterback, and they ended up losing 31 to, to 3. Um, in Formula 1, the Mercedes Formula 1 team was mini- missing seven-time world champions Lewis Hamilton, and they threw a race win away with some bad teamwork at a pit stop. And another story, I, I follow volleyball a lot, lot. An Italian team, Trentino, have been missing both their setters, a vital role in, in, uh, in volleyball, forcing a different player, uh, Dutch outside hitter Namir Abdelaziz, to play in that position. Now, obviously... I think everyone can understand that there is a big impact of missing a key player, right? If it's your star player, if it's the best player in that sport, that's going to have a lot of impact. But in a lot of these cases, it also seems to have an impact on the functioning of parts of the team that doesn't really involve these players. So for instance, in the case of the Broncos, not having a quarterback can explain only scoring three points in offense but it cannot completely explain conceding 31 points. And in Formula One, having a different driver in your car shouldn't really change anything about the pit stops. The driver doesn't really do anything in that moment uh, during the race. So I guess, Laura, my first question a little bit is, what do we feel like is going on here? Why are these missing players having such an impact on seemingly unrelated parts of the team? Well, it's a very interesting topic. Um, I think it has a lot to do with uh, like leadership and what the team is used to. So um, I know from just personal experience in sport and, and watching sport and working with athletes and everything that you get used to a certain person being in charge and, and also a certain person getting the attention too. So you kind of like you, if your team is pretty, um, like consistent with how, with its leadership and how each of the players are, are, each of the athletes are treated, then everyone kind of gets used to that, 
that method, that that uh, way of of running the team. So then, when the star player is gone, it can be it. It depends. Like it could be that the other people come up and they shine, or it could be mm-hmm. that they're so not used to it that they they don't know what to do and they're worried about like not that they don't know what to do but that they are um you know they're there's all of a sudden all this pressure on them to be the one that shines or to lead the team and they're not used to that and so i think that it also kind of it says something to coaches in that you know you have to make sure you're shaking things up sometimes. You have to make sure that you're not just focusing all of your attention on your star players or your star athletes um, and also not relying on them so much to carry the team Um, and that you're giving the other players opportunities to exercise those leadership skills and to, um, you know, even just even just being in a different position, like being the one that now starts first or something like in the, in the race or in the F1 race or whatever. Um, or like, yeah, just, just, they're just not used to it, you know, and that can really shake things up. And also with COVID, you know, there's so many other things that people mm. are worried about, For sure. um, like their families and all that kind of thing. Like there could be, there could be anything going, any number of things going on in their personal lives. Um, and also the personal lives of the pit crew and the, and the coaches and just everyone is, is all shaken up right now. And they have to manage that stress somehow. And maybe it's not coming easily. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting that you, you bring in like the other things that are happening with COVID. Like, why is this such a problem with COVID? We have injuries in normal times as well. And, the, the stress, I think, is a really uh, a good point is I, I can believe and, and we know this from like personal experience at work, like everyone is kind of like on edge, right? Nobody is comfortable right now. Nothing is mm-hmm. is, is, is normal, is, is easy. So then maybe like missing that one little part for everyone in the team, like everyone involved is just the, the little bit that pushes them over the edge, that puts mm-hmm. them in like a, a mental state that stops them from performing at their best so that you know that's that's something that when i read this i was like wow it might just be that that missing that key player is just too much for everyone else with where they are right now totally you you mentioned the coaches so you're a coach and you're missing you're missing your key player like do you how do you tell that your your other people on the team are like over that edge like how do we how do you address that? I think I think it comes down to how much you know your players in the first place. Um, and this, you know, this would be easier uh, said in like a, a professional setting instead of like a youth sport where the coach normally coaches. Or actually, I'm not sure how this is for every sport, but I know um, the few sports. Anyway, there's a few sports I know of that the coaches just, coach one level like one age group so each year they're they're Mm. getting a new batch of people who they have to know right they have to get to know these players so they don't and they have if their season is like seven months or something they have seven months to get to know them but it's not the same as if you've worked with 
the player for like two or three years, you know, like you, you get to know them a bit better then. Um, but so it certainly helps if you know, if you understand how your athletes um, individually process stress and process, um, especially the stress of the game day or the competition or even practice. And also it's key to understand how each of the players relate to one another and socialize with each other and also rely on each other in the competition setting. So um, you can kind of see, yeah, I mean, how, how would a coach uh, notice that a player is about to be over the edge? It can look different for different people, but um, I'd say like, you can get a sense from chatting with the player um, beforehand. Like it's hard to say if some, some may be very quiet, you know, when normally they're super loud um, or outgoing, some might be nervously like, (laughs) you know, doing things they wouldn't normally do, like packing and repacking their bag or like um, checking double checking that they locked something or, you know, I don't know, any type of preparation stuff that they're, they're doing differently or excessively um, could be a good sign of heightened anxiety. Um, And just noticing, yeah, differences in movement, even are they walking with their head down when they're usually pretty sprightly? Are they, you know, stuff like that, just because it's so unique to, to the athlete and because everyone humans are so complex and they're so different from each other, they could have different tells that they're the really the, yeah, the coaches have to have to um, make sure that at the beginning of the season, they're, they're one of their concerns is making sure they know the athletes individually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's cool that you, you mentioned kind of like the difference. I think sometimes we, we, um, relate anxiety and and stress with going from kind of like being happy and upbeat to being kind of down and slow and head is down, but that's not always the case. Like, like the reaction to anxiety for, for, for actually quite a lot of people is to, to kind of go to that happy, like, you know, pretending that nothing is wrong. So the difference is really important. If your player is normally a bit of a, you know, has a bit of introvert and, and doesn't say too much and suddenly is like, you know, dancing to the song and singing really loudly, like that should also be a, a, a trigger of being like, wait, hold yeah. up, what's going on here? Yeah, definitely. And, and definitely just even just checking in with them, you know, mm. it doesn't it doesn't mean if they're acting differently, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're anxious, but it, it definitely should be a, a, a sign to the coach to check in or to, you know, address it in some way, whether it's small or, or not, it could even not even involve talking to the athlete. It just Mm. depends on the situation. Um, and, I had something else that I was going to say, but I forgot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'll add to that. You know, we're, these are all very good points. And we, we talk about like, what can the coaches do? But I also think it's unfair to, to say like, oh, well, the coaches in, you know, for the, for the Denver Broncos or the Mercedes Formula One team, they didn't, you know, the, the leaders there didn't do a good job because those are also people that are right on the edge of like their, right. their tension right now because they yes. have to think about COVID. And just the fact as a coach that you would, plan for a game and then figure out that your most important player is like, well, you know, you can't play. 
Yeah. Like there's yeah. so I think across the board there's a there's a lot to to do. And I, the final thing I want to say about this before we move on to our next our, our next topic is when I read this there's something that uh, I really enjoy um, talking about, which is uh, preparing for success or preparing for, uh, for 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 mistakes, for things to go wrong, and and a difference between the two. Where if you prepare for success, what ends up happening for a lot of people is that they try to control as many tiny little things as possible, right? Like if I get all of these things right, I'll be great, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great thing as long as you have the ability to do that and everything goes right. On the other hand, you have preparing for things to go wrong where you actually say, well, I'm just going to make a list of possible things that can go wrong and figure out what I'm going to do if they happen. Mm-hmm. And a, a general thing, I think, for, for a lot of people is we, we can spend some more time preparing for things to go wrong. What are we going to do? And not only, you know, who am I going to put in that in that Formula One seat or who is going to play quarterback, but also what am I going to do with the rest of the team? And do we have a, do, does everyone have a plan for, for COVID? So I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I would love to be in those, those meetings for those teams to, oh, to hear totally. how they are, you know, what, what are they talking about? Yeah. And, and yeah. what, what are, are they planning? Yeah. Like the COVID, this is un, unprecedented. Like there's no, there's no guidebook to this. It's a global pandemic that mm. is influencing absolutely every sport team. Like yeah. there's there's hardly anything that has happened that does that. Like all over the world, every single sport team would be affected in some way, uh, big or small. And I think that for the, um, in terms of the preparing for um, things that could go wrong or things that could go right, I think that um, it's important to note uh, in this podcast for listeners that um, the timing of when you're preparing for things that could go wrong is important and how much time you Mm. you allot to that. Because essentially you want the players to go into the game or the competition ready to perform and confident in themselves and their own uh, potential for performance and also confidence in the other athletes that they're going to have to be working with to achieve their their various goals throughout the game and the competition so you want in order to equip the each athlete with that confidence you do have to um individually as the athletes you know they they have a lot of responsibility here too um and they have to be working with the coaches and thinking about what could go wrong but not right before the performance you know like not Mm -hmm. and and making sure that they're not like um just focusing on what could go wrong and and so the i guess i like to look at things in terms of like an overall basis of how you want um things to happen like to go into a game overall you want people to be confident calm confident and ready is what i is are the three things that i think of and so that's the overall. And then there's the parts of that, one of which would be um, important uh, that each player is confident that if they encounter each of these challenges, that they're going to be able to tackle them appropriately mm-hmm. and effectively during the game. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to say, uh, don't have that be your basis, I guess. 
have your basis be something else and have the right um, yeah that be a part yeah yeah so another story that um really caught my attention lately and i think is a, is a really cool thing to to discuss um it comes from the world of, of, of athletics, from long distance running, but I think it's a, a more broad uh, uh, discussion. So Kenyan runner Kibiwat Candy broke the world record on the half marathon by running just over 21 kilometers in just 57 minutes and 32 seconds. And this wow. happened only only about a year after Elliot Kipchoge broke the magical two hour barrier for the marathon. Mm-hmm. And the similarity between these two records is, is is quite large because after both of them, a big part of the conversation was about the shoes they were wearing. So these shoes have a special foam and a carbon plate, and they are aimed to help the athlete maintain more speed and spend less energy when running. They are actually so efficient that they now have been banned from major international competitions. And what this leads to is that many people are saying that these records are being broken is just because of the shoe and I, I i feel like every time i hear that there's something that isn't right to me because mm-hmm. it seems like there's just a full attribution that they said like oh it's the shoe like almost almost mm-hmm. like a anyone can do it mm-hmm. kind of kind of vibe and i guess if if we look at it from the athlete's perspective you, you have just run, you know, something that is a world record, something that has nobody else has ever done before. And you come over the line and then people start saying what, you know, well, it was just the shoes you were wearing or, you know, in swimming a few years ago, uh, well, a few years ago, about 12 years ago by now, we had the magic floating uh, swimsuits that made everyone go uh, ridiculously faster. Um, like, what do you think goes on in the head of, of one of those athletes when when kind of that phrase is said well i i think it's uh it's so it's so unfair and kind of heartbreaking to think of uh, an athlete thinking about this because there is so much pressure to get the best equipment and to like it, just when you're at that level you want to perform the best that you can and also you've got sponsors and they want you to be um you know showing off their products and They want you to be wearing the latest shoes and the latest whatever's that they've Mm -hmm. worked so hard on. Um, And they do design them to improve performance. Of course, they want their, they want the athletes to wear them. And so there's all those other pressures on the athlete. And then to have that, um, to have, to add on their own personal sacrifices that they've, that they've gone through um, to get to the high level that they're at it's not as if anyone can put on those shoes and run under two hours, right? So it's like the they are the best of the best of the best and their shoes are supporting them, but I mean, they're ultimately putting in the work. Um, I mean, there are different, there's, there's so many different parts of this topic that could be discussed in terms of privilege as well. So there's the whole, um, depending on how much the super great equipment costs, you know, then, mm-hmm. then some are, are more likely to be successful in the sport, I guess, if, if they're able to afford the better equipment, that if the better equipment's super 
makes a super big difference, you know? So there's, there's that to consider. Um, and there's, there's also the part that when you were talking, I was thinking of about how people, um, they make excuses for some for some athletes and then yeah. not others. Like they'll be like, Oh, it's only the shoe, but then like an athlete that's like them or something, you know, or, or is just generally liked by everybody. Then they'll be like, Oh yeah. But if they didn't have the shoe, then like, you know, they, they totally still win, even though they made a totally different yes. argument against another person. So, and I think there's again, a lot of, uh, you know, there's in the sport world, there's, you know, discrimination, sexism, like, like everywhere. So it's, and it's the same type of thing that you would see elsewhere in other social situations in the world. So it's just, it's annoying that that, that <laughs> happens and that they'd be like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, this, it was only, he only won because of this shoe. Like he's not that great. I, I like this other person, but like they weren't wearing the shoe, mm. you know, <laughs> It's just, anyway, yeah. I, I think it's a good point because the, the emphasis on the technology, whether it's a shoe, a swimsuit, or, you know, uh, I think bobsledding has a very large uh, technological impact where, like, if you if you spent the most amount of time on your on your sled, then you're the fastest. Right. Or at least that's what people say. Yeah. But it, it, it just gives people a, a, a way out of, of, yeah. of recognizing actual uh, athletic, uh, yeah. you know achievement and like the, i think the most famous example is you know there's the, the, there's the, the the videos of comparing usain bolt and and jesse owens you know and they're saying well if jesse owens ran with the modern shoes and whatever then he would just be this much far behind usain bolt so usain bolt is not that much better but i think what we have to keep in mind is that it's not just like you can just implement technology to somebody and then yeah. they are magically using the benefits. And mm -hmm. I think a good example of this comes from the documentary about the first attempt of the, the sub two hour marathon. I think it's called Break, Breaking Two. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there's this, there's three runners. Uh, Elliot Kipchoge is one of them. Uh, but one of the other ones is Lalisa uh, de Sisa and who is an, an absolutely amazing marathon runner. Uh, has consistently ran, I think it's like 205 times. It's, it's really good and does that all mm. the time. And he just couldn't adapt to the higher pace. Mm. His his technique and his body wasn't able to adapt to the technology. Okay. So even though theoretically he had like, you know, the, the endurance, the, the lung capacity and the, the, the muscle strength and everything to do it, theoretically, yeah. that's what they explained. He wasn't able to do it because just his his technique and his just the the overall package wasn't able to adapt enough. And mm -hmm. when I see these things and people go, "Oh, it's just a shoe, it's just the the swimsuit, it's just the sled, whatever," I'm like, "But it's also about do you have the ability to use it? Are you mm -hmm. able to adjust mentally and, and and physically to that challenge? Mm -hmm. I can imagine it's so hard if you're used to running." A marathon at a certain pace to just go like one percent faster must feel yeah. like you're yeah it must feel so different yeah things totally. small changes at that level of athletic ability tiny changes make such a big difference in how it feels mm -hmm. that 
your ability to change that and be able to convince yourself that you're going to be able to con- like to sustain that one percent for two hours must it, it's that's so tricky and i would love for that to be almost in the conversation it's not he he ran the world record because of the shoes but you yeah. can say like i get it the shoes make a difference we, we're not denying that but you can say yeah. he ran the world record with the shoes right it's the athlete with the technology that yeah. combined make yeah. a uh, a world record uh happen I don't know what your your opinion is about that. Totally. I, I love that comment because it's it's just it's also it's so much about how the story is shaped. And that that really can be what, um, you know, that can have a huge impact on the athlete and how they're telling the story. Like they could even think ahead of time, like, OK, I, I want to wear these shoes. But if I wear these shoes, then people will say only one because of the shoes. So mm. and and it's, it's so it's kind of like it's it's too bad that that has to be a worry, you know, that like how are people going to view me if I wear these shoes, if I don't wear the shoes? I mean, and I like the way you phrased it in that this athlete won with the shoes not because of the shoes because that is just that's you know for lack of a better word it's bonkers to say that the shoes i mean the shoes didn't win the race the person won the race (laughs) and anyway and it's all it's just so rude to the athlete as well because they've i mean day in day out they're putting in time and effort and money and sacrifice and to chalk it all up to the shoes is just is just disrespectful and but and i understand the like the advantages versus disadvantages argument but in terms of the athlete themselves going through that experience of competing and testing out different equipment it's just like come on everyone like let's give this athlete Mm. um but even as i'm saying that i'm thinking like but then some athletes have this huge team behind them that's giving them all this great equipment and then other people don't. But it, I guess it's just part of the game. Like, you know, mm. if, you, if you're an amateur athlete and you become great, then people start giving you equipment and stuff. So I guess it doesn't yeah. – I mean, no, there's going to be no clear, you know, smooth situation for it. But um, – yeah, there's lots of lots of different aspects there to think about. Uh, and I think, yeah. you know, we're, we're obviously uh, th- there is some unfairness in, in that kind of thing, yeah. often based on money and resources. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, it's fair to say that if we just change the word because to with, yes. uh, we would feel like it's a lot more uh, fair to the athlete who yeah. is still putting in the, the effort, even though they might be uh, getting ahead a little bit on technology because of what they have. Totally. And, and one more thing, when you were saying about the, the athlete who, who can't adjust to the shoes, you know, technology is changing so much over time um, that scientists, shoe scientists, might <laughs> uh, come up with a shoe that then that goes well with this athlete who can't adjust to this shoe. So mm-hmm. it it's because technology is ever changing. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to say what the limits are, you know? And I think as we were discussing earlier, the limits for technology are often decided 
because of social reasons, not because of ethical or moral reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, people are 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 wanting to keep certain groups down, so they'll they'll be like, okay, this is the limit, so that yeah, I, I I'm not sure that because people weren't privy to our conversation earlier, so I'm not sure that that. Maybe <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I think we can keep that that conversation for a different uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so let's it. move on to to our final um, story for today because I think we'll have uh, quite a bit to say about that uh, mm-hmm. both as well. So the week was again. Uh, as it has been in multiple times throughout the last few years, filled with concussion news from former rugby union players coming out saying uh, they were suffering from dementia and personality changes um, after their career and questions being raised about the overall safety of rugby union as a sport to soccer players in the Premier League uh, openly discussing the idea of a concussion substitute where somebody who is suspected to have a concussion can be substituted almost for free outside of the limit of three or nowadays five substitutions in the game. And this all comes, of course, after um, a few years ago when the NFL was talking about um, concussions a lot and even had a big settlement case about uh, with former players about the impacts of playing NFL football mm-hmm. and to me every time one one of these stories breaks it talks about the long-term mental effects of concussions and playing sports that that have a lot of concussions but when we talk about concussions themselves we we always seem to to focus on the physical symptoms so the mm-hmm. stories when athletes are retired are, I suffer personality changes, dementia, all these kinds of uh, mental health issues. But in when athletes are still playing, when their, their careers are still uh, alive, for a better word, it's about, do you still have symptoms? What is going on? And if you look at the, the, the famous return to play protocols, the, the, the um, concussion protocols that, that guide when players are allowed to play again, they mostly talk about physical um, uh, attributes again, right? Do you have a headache? Are you sensitive to light? All these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And what astonishes me is that it seems that the world of sport still is so reluctant to accept mental symptoms and mental health issues as like just as physical symptoms Mm -hmm. and be able to see you know, feeling down or, or, or you know, uh, having emotional problems as an injury, just like, a, you know, a rolled ankle is. And I guess I, my, my, the question to start off with is, why do we feel like it's so difficult for, for sports to accept mental health symptoms as injuries? Unfortunately, I think um, a lot of it has to do with the mentality that has been generated decades ago um, about like the suck it up, you know, play, be a man, don't, um, you know, play through or not don't play through, play through uh, the pain or, or whatever. And it's like physical pain and uh, mental health symptoms it's like they've put it on two totally different levels and even maybe not even in the same field of, of, or or whatever. Um, And uh, it's just, it's too bad. Um, And 
I, I think back to the concussion movie, you know, did you see mm-hmm. concussion? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And the whole, um, the NFL, like covering stuff up and not, and being so reluctant to even consider that there could be a, um, like a major, major mental and physical results of uh, multiple concussions that are affecting these players. And, and, and in many cases have led to death and it's just, it's, it's such a social, um, it's such a social thing that has such a huge influence, which mm-hmm. is so fortunate. Like it's like, they're refusing to see, um, clear evidence of, of, uh, an, a major issue, but, and I think it all comes back to, you know, uh, real men don't talk about it or, and that even like trickles down to to women as well like even though it's like real men don't talk about it it's like athletes are tough mm-hmm. you know like they they don't athletes don't have mental health issues you know they're athletes they're they're they've got their life together because they're fit and they're they do their you know all this stuff and it's i think it's such a social issue and the reluctance is incredible um to the reluctance to accept that mental health is a is a consequence of um, or mental health issues are a con- consequence of concussions. Um, and it makes people uneasy, I think, to talk about on a personal mm. level. So because the culture is that way in a culture of re- reluctance to accept that mental health is a result of concussions, on a personal level, if an athlete experiences the concussion, then it it's not like they have... Uh, a blanket of support that they know that they'll receive, you know, mm. they're probably going to be met with this message that you shouldn't be having mental health issues, you know, and, but then again, you will, because that's, or you, you likely will, if you get a lot of concussions, like it's just I think backwards. That's, I think that's a really interesting point because I do agree with you that there's, there's a large cultural part to this where, you know, athletes are, tough and fit and perfect and you know they're they're the best kind of people we have but to me what I've been noticing uh, talking to a lot of former professional athletes and 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 seeing kind of news that I think there's a change with athletes themselves who are suffering mental health issues becoming more and more um, open about it Uh, Mm -hmm. nowadays more like after their careers they'll talk about i had this while Mm -hmm. i was playing and i think there's a change there where the the athletes that are actually suffering from those issues do at some point tend to speak out of it uh, speak out about it but they then also say but there was there was no place i could go there was no Mm -hmm. one to talk there was no there was nothing in place to to help me in those moments and that's why i kept it to myself and mm-hmm. I, there's a really interesting point there where it almost sometimes seems like the the people that are in, in the in have leadership right that are have power have control are the ones that are uncomfortable talking about it and therefore mm-hmm. don't ask mm-hmm. right and that it's it's when somebody says oh i'm i'm not feeling great today and they go well what's what's going on it's just i feel very down and they're like well it takes, I guess, a, a next level of understanding to to then address that and say, okay, well, I know that that could be 
mm-hmm. symptom of something more than just, you know, everyone has a bad day. But if you have, you know, 60, 80, 90, 300 bad days in a row, then there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. And when I hear these stories again, like the ones about rugby union players, it's they knew that things weren't right, that they mm-hmm. weren't supposed to feel this way, but there was no there was no support system. So it's almost seems like it's we've progressed to a point where we understand on an individual basis that mental health is important, but we're not mm-hmm. able to deal with other people's mental health issues yet. Mm, I, I don't know if you point. if you share that, but that's what I, I sometimes feel when I read a lot about this. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And I think that it is, yeah, it is a slow change. Um, and I do agree that on a personal level, um, I think people are becoming more aware of their, their own mental health um, and what, what it looks like to them to feel okay versus not okay, like within themselves. Um, and I think you're totally right in that it, uh, the, the people in the management positions, the ma- major leadership positions within the sport team and within the sport organization, when they model vu- vulnerability, that makes a huge difference for the players and a cultural shift within the team and the organization. So if, if they have, let's say, an expert come into their team and their organization and do a presentation or even work with them for like three weeks or something on mental health and, and recognizing it and, and dealing with it and supporting each other. I, it doesn't always end in change and it often ends in going right back to how it was before, because Mm. that's what people are comfortable with. That's what, that's where they know what to expect. So if they were to change um, and move into this more uh, holistic focus on uh, on a person's overall health, and it would include mental health, then they don't know what to expect in their interactions with other people. They don't know what to expect when they personally experience something. If they're if they go to their coach and say, "I'm I'm having a mental health issue today." Um, and whatever, and then they don't know if the coach will actually accept it. So often they will Mm. just go right back to how it was in the don't talk about it, don't express what's happening, and um, keep it taboo. So it really is up to the coaches to establish this culture uh, within the team. And then they can also rely on key players on the team to like the the captains and assistant captains to assist in this cultural shift and they need to put concrete um methods in place to like um to make sure that they're held accountable to this cultural shift that they want to make um in terms of mental health so talking to each other about okay what are our personal fears about this let's just get that all out as Mm -hmm. a small group of the leadership team talking about this okay how are we going to um make this cultural shift within our team so that the players know it's okay to come and talk to us and then what are we going to give back to them when they come and talk to us how are we going to feel will i feel uncomfortable I think so. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Why do I feel uncomfortable about it? And then 
work through all of that discomfort and can continuously really like everyone should be reflecting all the time about okay why did this why would this conversation make me uncomfortable what in my past what in my you know what is it about me that i would be uncomfortable with this just so that you can make sure that you're maintaining that that shift so that it is sustainable because that's what you need mm. is sustainability in this case and then eventually the athletes will trust that they can approach the coaches and they they will get help and support when this happens um, because essentially it comes down to trust and trust comes down to consistency so mm -hmm. those are two key things and factors here let's uh wrap the story up with actually a positive uh, I, I wanted to have a positive uh, story it comes from italian volleyball where due to covid and some personal issues there was a player no there's no need to, to specify who it is who was uh suffering from from some depression um uh, being locked up and and whatever and, and his team gave him as much time as he needed off whilst i'm pretty sure still being uh, you know paid for everything he was able to to recover to to work on that and, and and be in a better place and return to the team and is now playing very well so there are examples of really respecting these things as, as honest injuries and figuring out how you can get back from it in a sustainable way rather than you know having people uh, self-destruct with that Great. said laura thank you very much for being on this episode if you are listening and you do enjoy it, please make sure to rate on iTunes, leave comments, likes, and if you have any questions or things that you would like me, Laura, or any other people that will be on the podcast uh, to discuss, you can always find me on Instagram. Uh, look for JWK Mental Performance Training. That's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you want to find me. Uh, I will link all the stuff where you can find Laura as well. On in the uh, show notes and I hope to see everyone again in the next episode thanks bye